Hey y'all, Meg here. First of all, just want to say I'm glad you're here. Opting to skip my normal intro to let you know a couple things. If you listen to the intro episode that we put out last week, then you know that this episode is a conversation between Janessa and I going over the purity culture results. This is a long one. <laughs> uh, we went way over time. And so with that being said, all of the stories that you told us, aside from the questions that we asked, are going to be on the next episode. So there's more coming. So stay tuned. Um, but I hope you enjoy. And I do want to be sensitive and cognizant that this is sometimes a tough topic and it can bring things up for us that we weren't sure they were there or how it really affected us until we hear other people talk about it. And we do talk openly about hard conversations, hard topics such as rape and assault. And so just be aware, trigger warning up front, that you may have to take a break and come back and that's totally fine. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between Janessa and I. Here we go. Okay, it's me and Janessa today. Hi, Janessa. Hey, May. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited. What are we even doing? <laughs> We're going to feel this out, guys, as we go. We're scared and excited. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good summary. <laughs> Here we are. We're doing it. So we're going to start just today talking about the definition on the survey and then just kind of the answers that people gave because we kind of open-ended asked if they would add anything to that. On the survey, purity culture was defined as messaging regarding sexuality and sexual activity. Our religious settings encouraged us to, quote unquote, pledge in various forms not to have sexual experiences until we were married. And so we asked them if they generally agreed with that. And most did. And then I asked if they would have anything to add to that. So I think it, there's this kind of initial, like, difficult thing to define. And so I just kind of love some of the different things that people brought forth. So just thinking about, okay, that's your basic definition. But obviously, everyone has a different experience. Um, and this kind of idea of purity culture is, is spread out kind of even globally. Yeah. Uh, and so these are just a few of the iterations of, of how people described or added to it. Sex was between a man and a woman only, that it did not include sexuality, but just the act of sex, that if someone did engage in sex, they became damaged goods, especially if they were not a virgin, became kind of very focused on virginity and that being kind of the very like key definition and then this idea that things like masturbating is wrong. Girls were responsible for attraction to males, both positively and negatively. And the girls responsible for remaining pure in light of boys' inability to control sexual urges. It's oh, a big one. I feel like throughout these, the questions and answers that is like a major theme of women being responsible for you know lust or urges or whatever on on the on the male side of things that we were somehow responsible for that or caused it or that we could prevent it kind of thing that we were somehow in control of that so that's a big one would you personally add anything to that definition or what pops into your mind about what purity culture is as a whole i mean i think probably the the piece of it that i would add is this kind of idea it's alluded to in these different things that people ask or added, 
is really more the word, but just kind of this idea that sexuality has a major consequence that will impact you in a negative way. So anything related to it, just kind of putting that blanket over it, especially sexual acts are bad because they create such negative consequences. And so I think that that to me is something I would like if I was boiling it down to how I viewed it based on the messaging that I received. And I guess that's a good place to kind of double back and be like, what is your experience with period culture? (laughs) Like I kind of talked about mine a little bit in the intro, at least kind of my why, why I wanted to do this, why I'm passionate about it, but share a little bit about your interactions with this. Yeah. Gosh, where do you start with that? Um, <laughs> Dad, well, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I was born a girl. <laughs> and the rest is history. No, definitely kind of grew up in the kind of the classic definition of, you know, what you laid out as kind of the the key message that I heard in mm-hmm. different stages of my life growing up. So just realizing how much I'm very impacted by it uh, and am constantly having to notice the different unconscious ways that I, you know, even like you said in your intro that you you perpetuated it and, and probably still do today in ways simply because it's kind of ingrained deeply. Right. Yeah. It's like subconscious almost at this point sometimes. It's a, it's a programming, a way of programming someone to see the world and move through it. Would you say that, what would you say, I think helped you kind of start reframing some of that stuff or kind of coming out of that programming? I would say that it was actually in my, probably in my late 20s, early 30s was my first kind of like within my own relationship starting to kind of open my eyes and question uh, some different things. But it's definitely only been in probably the last five years and I'm 41 uh, that I have begun to question and, and kind of bring into my awareness some of the the messaging and how that has impacted my marriage and how I interact with friends and coworkers and just carrying that with me wherever I go. And so there's a piece of me that, you know, feels a bit like I'm I missed out or was, you know, kind of grieving that loss of a way of seeing that I didn't have before. So yeah. I would completely identify with that. Just the piece about like feeling like I feel like there's years missing, you know, almost that there's development that never happened. And yeah, just like kind of time lost viewing the world a certain way. And then you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of regret there, to be honest, about the things that I have perpetuated and the things that I have wasted time on, you know. Mm -hmm. So another thing I asked them, which kind of overlaps into that definition, and some of these things might be the same, but I asked, you know, what they remembered most. Because sometimes things that they remembered most are not quite what is actually defined. And so I'm just going to go through a couple of these. So like, don't have sex, just period. You need to be whole for your husband. This is also a major theme of the expectations of what a wife is to a husband, but it's not necessarily reciprocated. If that makes sense, like there weren't as many expectations on what a husband is to be for a wife Mm. by the time he gets married, you know, but there was a lot of expectation on women yeah, in order to get married, like the journey to get married. There's a lot of pressure on on your state, (laughs) you know, that waiting is the greatest gift that I could give my husband. So same kind of thing. Oh, so so one person remembers that there were like big rallies. Purity culture rallies are true love weights. We'll talk about true love weights a little bit more later, but just like really big rallies where that's that's all they talked about was abstaining from sex. 
Which is funny when you say it now, sort of out of context. Back then it was like a really cool thing, I remember. And you like wanted to be a part of it. But now it's like, that's all they got together to talk about? <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, that sex outside of marriage can be very damaging. The consequences of giving yourself to someone before you're married is very damaging. One person says that she felt bad for wearing her cheerleading uniform because she was told that it wasn't modest. And so it's like messaging that you're receiving, but then also messaging that you're like internalizing. I think this is like, this is the entire point of this survey and all of these conversations that I feel like people are having is that right, that right there is like you're getting messaging, but then what you're internalizing and then living with is really the damaging part. You know, someone can be well-meaning if we want to call it that, but then what actually happens to a person despite someone else's intentions is what can be, you know, traumatic and, and harmful. Yeah, I hear that. And I definitely, I think in seeing that, I think I've heard someone say before, like children are incredible, like receivers, um, but they're terrible interpreters. And so just as, especially in those like years where we're just growing and, and building our own identity and deciding, trying to figure out who we are, we're constantly receiving these messages. And when you think about the number and wide variety of messages, especially as a girl that you receive in for this context, when it comes to purity culture, you, you more than just internalize it, it becomes part of your identity, right? If it, you, you even attribute it to your body in the sense mm -hmm. of like, um, you're just thinking about the way that that leads to a relationship with your body, right? Mm -hmm. It's an inert thing, right? Like it's it's not good or bad, right? Um, but now you've ascribed this like goodness and balance mm -hmm. because of a message that you mm -hmm. received, uh, and it it really is ingrained in how you view yourself. Yeah, there's a whole lot in these answers, and we don't have time to go through them because I think this would be seven hours if we went through line by line. But there's a whole lot about guilt and shame, um, that they should feel guilt and shame and that, that sex was bad and I'm bad for liking it. Oh, a man wouldn't want to marry you if you had quote unquote sexually sinned. And I think sin is a, not only like a loaded word, but it's also kind of ambiguous because of the, and we'll get into this later, but the, the hypocrisy between the genders that there was this set of standards um, for women that then kind of got labeled as sin, but then, but then like, what are the men doing? And it wasn't, the standards were not the same, even if on paper they were, I think lived out, there was a whole lot of, there was just a gap between the expectation on a female's body and the expectation on a man's. Mm. Oh, praying for God to take away those feelings and urges. This one, I mean, it made me laugh, but it also made me really hurt because I, I really identify with that, that it's like, instead of feeling completely normal. Like, the, I just think about this child, whoever this child was. That's a child that should know that they're completely normal, that they are going through puberty, they are going through high school, they're going through college, and they're having, like, normal sexual urges. If we're talking sex ed, body development, that's like a normal stage. And then somewhere along the way, during those stages, someone said, well, you just need to pray about it. Mm -hmm. You just need to ask God to take that away from you. I don't know. That just breaks my heart, I guess, just because from from like a developmental side, it's just sort of, you would never say that about the alphabet. 
you would never say that about opposable fingers, like learning to pinch your snacks. You know, like you would never, you would never do that about anything else. But there's something about your sexuality that became like vilified. And then we were asking God to like take away those natural signs of it. It's hard to look at, even though I was like in it. And I also think it just points to this kind of consistent kind of disconnect between this this struggle to kind of put spirituality and science alongside of each other. And often one may trump the other as opposed to just, I, I think you, you said it in your intro too, just kind of this recognition of these, all of these things belong. And when you think about science and you think about spirituality, they're both they're both good and they're kind of designed and intertwined and and one is the product of another. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you think about it in that way, but yet you take pieces of one or the other and you make it, uh, label it something that is not good or say that doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. um, it And it becomes this kind of, anytime that exists, there's going to be some level of confusion that's mm -hmm. probably going to impact the most kind of vulnerable of us, yeah. among us, yeah. which is generally our children, mm -hmm. uh, especially um, when they're in that, those really fragile developmental stages um, where they don't understand why their mind and their body are doing the things that they're doing. And it's yeah. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking to us for answers. Yeah. Uh, and the answer is, you're not normal. How yeah. does that, how do you carry that forward? Yeah. Um, you turn 40 and then start being like, Okay, I think I might be normal. Right. <laughs> All of that was normal. Yeah, my normalcy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So based on kind of that agreed upon definition, and then there's obviously so much to flesh out, which we can't get to. But from there, let's just kind of dive into the easy stuff because it's going to get heavy pretty quick. Um, so let's start easy, shall we? So the demographics, the seven, again, 76 people filled this out. There were 83% were between 31 and 50, and then 12 of them were under 30, 12%, and then 5% were over 51. Gender was 90% female, 10% male, and I'm really proud of that 10%, really thankful for those, those guys that filled that out and were honest about their experience. Why don't you take on denominations? Because this one was really fascinating to me. I expected most of it to be, you know, Southern Baptist, but we were having a conversation before we pushed record. It's just really interesting, all of the diversity here in those numbers. So why don't you take on the denominations? Yeah. So there's actually, there's actually a really wide kind of, well, a lot of different denominations mm -hmm. represented here. I guess there's, I guess, 13 categories yeah. of um, different denominations, which, you know, obviously in the in the big scheme of things, there are, there are I assume, thousands of denominations out there. Yeah. Of course, these, uh, you know, generally were in the kind of Christian faith. And then you know, with the exception of one, which is just generally the unchurched, which doesn't necessarily fall into those categories. So Southern Baptist, 43 uh, people out of, out of the 70... 76, no, mm -hmm. filled it out. Uh, Church of Christ is seven. Uh, Assembly of God, three. That's my representation. <laughs> uh, Mennonite, one. Nazarene, one. Methodist, there were five of you. Non-denominational, seven of you. Independent Fundamental Baptist. I've never even heard of that. Me neither, but <laughs> the more words that you have, the better, I think. 
Right. Oh. There was one of you in that. Presbyterian is two. Missionary Baptist, one. Catholic, one. Lutheran, two. One person declined to say, and then one person fell into the unchurched category. But just kind of interesting, you know, that unchurched piece of it is really just kind of a representation of a whole world out mm-hmm. there, right? And yeah. so this is this is the unchurched represented by one. And kind of as I was thinking through that, what I see is, you know, it kind of points to that, like, when we use the definition that that, that you chose for this survey under the term of purity culture, recognizing that, you know, purity culture is really just kind of this iteration, right, associated with the Christian faith often that really is a subset of this, like, overarching theme or arc that kind of bends toward historical suppression and oppression of sexuality and and in particular for females. And just kind of looking back across our history, for this survey, we have one who represents the unchurched, but recognizing that this is this is probably applicable across mm-hmm. um, the unchurched. I, in fact, I I had a friend when I was talking to them about this who said, like, I was unchurched, really. Um, I felt like I was very aware of my sexuality at a young age, but I also was very impacted by mm-hmm. by this idea of purity culture just through, through mm-hmm. kind of peers um, and the messages I received from them. Yeah. Um, and that was impactful to me because I was like, well, you weren't even... How are you impacted by that whenever I think she was like church, but she didn't have purity culture like messaging yeah. in her right. particular upbringing, still being impacted by it. It, go, mm-hmm. it goes out across all the yeah. different throughout all of the different sectors of society when you think right. about it. And, uh, and I think one important call out here is that I think in many cases, this was a very this is a very well-meaning and even in kind of maybe be framed as the purpose of it being to protect, uh, to protect you or to protect in particular, to protect the female, which is, can be even more confusing. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're protecting me, but you're also like, not, what is the, what is the song? You can't lock me up and tell me about freedom. You can't do both of those things at the same time. And it's kind of that same, you're free and I want to protect you, but but I'm also locking you up and preventing you from right. from developing normally and yeah. and figuring out how you move through the world mm-hmm. and and knowing that your body is okay. It's not even just okay; like your body is good right. as it moves through the world yeah. and it's designed to be connected yeah. to others. Those are just major things that you miss along the way. Yeah. And this kind of yeah. well-meaning kind of we we wanted to protect you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't think that most of our parents were like. What I really want to do is oppress you and and get you from ever figuring things out. That probably wasn't the heart of most of our parents. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was this kind of inadvertent, I'm trying to protect you. And at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm I'm inadvertently harming you uh, in right. more of a kind of unintentional passive way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that some some, you know, some protection can seem well-meaning just pushing back just slightly just some protection is really out of fear which is not actually very well-meaning oh that's good that's that's a trauma response that's you know that's not actually love that's control and it's done out of a place of fear even though it can be packaged in a well-meaning way so i'm not going to say that everybody that was doing that was that way but 
I just, I think that some of that, if you go back to the origin story with, you know, if you go back to the kind of the origin story of purity culture, a lot of it stemmed from the AIDS epidemic and abortion laws in the 80s and things like that, that it was like, okay, well, how do we combat these things? And some parties involved decided that the best way to do that was to kind of like get everybody on board with not having sex before marriage. And that would kind of cut down with STDs and that would cut down with AIDS and that would cut down with babies out of wedlock and all these kinds of things. And so then you, you birth curriculum out of that place, then all of that's just coming from a place of fear. It's not actually mm. about like, let's teach you about your sexuality and let's teach you about what's best for your, you know, journey. This was a cookie cutter, in my perspective, that just a cookie cutter, this is best for everyone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was, and then there was a serious lack of education that went with that because that was the main focus was sort of protecting you right. from that thing, sex. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's just really not, a, it's not a an approach that is empowering mm. and, you know, just kind of instilling confidence in making decisions. Uh and knowing what's yeah. right for you, right? And and again, coming back to being 40 and I'm just now learning how to be grounded mm -hmm. and, and connected yeah. in the moment. And that's kind of that unfortunate consequence of the mm. fear around that purity culture. Like yeah. you yeah. dissociate from your body. What you just said about that your body is good. I mean, I think I was in my 30s. But, you know, that's pretty late in life. To have had that messaging for the first time. Yeah. I, mean, to, I could probably say I was I was in my 30s yeah. as well. Uh, and to have that be like, you know, I don't know if you watch Friends, but that moment Phoebe's like, this is brand new information. <laughs> like it literally was brand new information. No one had ever told me that before. I'd never had that like spoken over me or, you know. That's really sad. That's kind of the, you interpret it. All of those mm -hmm. messages the best way you know how. And it must yeah. mean, because we do that, right? right? It must be me. I must be the thing that is bad here. Mm -hmm. And if I can just be unbad. Well, and some of those messages that weren't, they were implicit and they were just kind of out there, like said, swirling around, like, and then we just absorb it like a sponge because that's what children do. Even adolescents were just absorbing everything and going A plus B equals C. And C is always my fault, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Um, a lot of that I feel like is from the Bible. So let's just, let's bring the Bible into it, you know, um, because I feel like a lot of this purity culture in the church, conservative Christianity, they obviously had, quote unquote, biblical things to back it up. And we, we had to have, we couldn't just talk about sexuality. We had to talk about biblical sexuality. And so that was one of the things that I asked was, did did your institution that you were a part of label things as, quote unquote, biblical sexuality? And it was pretty much split down the middle. I feel like that's more telling of what denomination they were a part of, just because, you know, any any evangelical, especially in the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention is going, that's going to be closer to like 90%. If you just ask them, it's going to be 90%. Because I, I feel like everything was labeled biblical. Right. Yeah, and it's just and that's obviously conjecture. But, yeah, <laughs> but I but I feel like just growing up in that space, everything had to be biblical. It couldn't just like exist. It had to be biblical, you know. And so then there's obviously Bible verses to kind of prop up whatever were. So we asked, uh, I asked um, if they remembered specific verses 
being used to kind of uphold this messaging and where where it was coming from. And so I'm just going to read these off real quick. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Proverbs eleven twenty two: The Lord detests those whose heart are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. I laughed at that one because I was like, where is he going with this? I can't. Yeah, He's going everywhere. And actually, the one that they actually cited was verse 22 about the pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And it was like... So then I put the other two in there just for context because I was like, what is he even talking about pig snout? But it was like, I don't, this is, I don't understand. Who was quoting this in youth group? I would like to know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just thinking about that as a, you know, a young impressionable, as a child, basically mm. hearing this and trying to figure out what that means in actual application to your yeah. life. And the only thing is just like using those, those words, they just invoke fear. And I don't even know why. Like, right. I don't even know what I just heard all I experienced. Yeah. Well, you've got words fear. like perverse in there and blameless and unpunished and no discretion. It's like, yeah, what What are these words? These are really heavy words, but what are you guys talking about? No, I, I don't know how it how it ties together yeah. logically in my it's very mind. loosely tied. <laughs> um, the next one is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. This is kind of long. But uh, basically, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, two will become flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Hmm. There you have it. I think... I'm trying. Maybe you just bypass your thinking brain in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I when I hear that, I guess it just twists my heart a little mm-hmm. bit because I, when you think about like a, a when you're referring to like putting in that context or in those shoes a real life person mm-hmm. who has thoughts and feelings and dreams and and desires, not even talking about sexual desires, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you put them in that place. Suddenly you're connected to this real human. As one, yeah. My heart twists and hurts Uh, Yeah, for the recipient of that, I guess, context Mm -hmm. that's being put on Uh, that. I remember being terrified of any sort of sexual interaction because of verses like this and and the messaging that came with it was that you're going to be connected to this person for the rest of your life. I was terrified of, of a misstep at all. And being connected to the wrong person. And, you know, the next verse is Matthew 19, 5, which basically just kind of reiterates the same thing. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has joined them together. Let no one separate, which we use in our vows a lot now. Last one, which I want to sit here for just a second, is David and Bathsheba. So this was always told to me wrong and kind of like my body is good. Uh, I was in my 30s before I recognized what actually happened in that mm-hmm. story. <laughs> so let's let's revisit tell that. us. Yeah. Okay. So King David, back in the in the in the Old Testament, David was like the youngest sibling. He was the unlikeliest. He was very, very young when he became king of Israel. And he one night goes out on his balcony and per usual, there are women bathing on the roof because that's where they bathed. 
she's bathing. I don't know whether she was naked. We'll have to go look it up, right? Doesn't matter. Really, in the story, it doesn't matter whether she's naked or not, right? So King David sees this woman bathing, and he says, I, I, I need to have her. Can I have it? Can I get it? Right? So he, he says, I want, I want that. And he has his kingly power to do so. So he has her retrieved and has sex with her. So I didn't recognize that as what it was, and no one was saying it when I was young. But that's non-consensual. Right. That's rape. Yeah. Right? So the king rapes Bathsheba because he can. And maybe laws are different here and there between that, you know, time and mine. doesn't matter to me looking at it now. Did, she didn't have the autonomy to say no. Right. He's the king. She's a lowly person, power differential there. She can't say no. So that in my brain, reading that now, it's like, she, you know. He raped her, and then, and then she she's married. Let's point that out. She was married, and so David has her husband sent to the front lines in the war that they're fighting, and um, in order, you know, that he would obviously be killed. Mm-hmm. And so, David rapes a woman and murders her husband. Yeah, because he's the king. He's a very young king. Young king comes into power, does these things, and and yet. He is praised for all of time for being, you know, a man after God's own heart. Let's just quote that verse because it gets quoted all over the place. A man after God's own heart. Well, if that, mm, that's confusing. Mm-hmm. As it, I, I, I mean, that's just the, the end. Right? So yeah, that's confusing. Yeah, that's confusing. <laughs> so why was that being used? Because I remember it being used as it was Bathsheba's fault. I too. I, you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> So I, I do know, I know both of these kind mm-hmm. of ways that you've yeah. described this story. That just pulls mm-hmm. something up for me. But I love the way that you describe that because, I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a reality, right? right? It's a describing it with using the modern terms, right, mm-hmm. that we have to ascribe to violence against women and taking that and put, like, uh, of course, the Bible is full of yeah, stories oh, like yeah. that, right? This is just one of many mm-hmm. stories that kind of perpetuate mm-hmm. that that view and then it exult like al- allow this to happen and yeah. so exulting. Right. So some of the other questions that we asked, what age were you introduced to purity culture or true love weights? So age, the median age was mm-hmm. 13 to 15. Um, so just right in there where you're just yeah. transitioning your identity. <laughs> Your whole oh body. my gosh, just a bunch of weirdos at 13, right? Um, I asked if they participated in a true love weights ceremony and kind of what I meant by that was like some sort of, so there were these cards, true love weights was a, I don't know what to call it. What do you call it? It's like a curriculum, but also like a propaganda program, but it also had like merch you know, it's very, it was a it was brand. A, it was a money making thing, you know? <laughs> and so part of this true love weights was that they uh, had a ring ceremony where you could get like a promise ring that symbolized that you were going to wait until you were married to have sex. Um, but the, the, there was also a card that you signed that was, you know, saying that you, you were like relinquishing your right. And so 58% said that they did participate in some form of a ceremony. Um, I asked if there was jewelry involved. And 42% said yes. Did you have a purity ring? I did not, but I wanted okay. one. Yeah. 
<laughs> Real bad, I bet. So if you guys remember in the 80s and 90s, James Avery was like the, do you know who James Avery is? Mm -hmm. James Avery was the it jewelry company to get your purity ring from. Mm -hmm. I remember one time we went on a ski trip and um, someone stole my purity ring. And then the youth pastor made a joke about how I lost my purity on that trip. And I did not appreciate that. You know, I was real embarrassed on the church trip home. And, but it was funny because it was like that purity, that purity ring symbolized my purity, not, I don't know. Again, it was like that transference of like, mm -hmm. I didn't own my body. I didn't own my sexuality. It was like this, this ring symbolized it. It wasn't even me. Yeah. And I wasn't even seen as a, you were capable of losing. Right. Uh, leaving it behind, yep. separating from it. And someone could make light of yes. that as well. Yeah. Um, and also probably in the same breath, be able to like be very serious about mm -hmm. the importance of all that that's symbolized. Right. Uh, but at the same time, mm -hmm. we use ministers like make light of this too. Yep. I'm sure that he was just trying to make you feel better. Didn't even think about it. I'm sure. <laughs> Didn't even think a thing about it. But because like that was such a big deal as a female... I was taking that real serious. So then I took his joke real serious. <laughs> We're going to push pause real quick. We'll be right back after this break. Okay, let's transition to, into a little bit heavier stuff. Why don't you read the next question and answer? Did you fully understand what you were committing to? And 53% said no. I mean, that's half, but still, it's, that's a large population that didn't understand. I was thinking back to the night that I signed my card, my True Love Waits card, and I was thinking about how hilarious it would be if I could get into contact with some people from my youth group. If y'all are out there listening, how you know, happenstance that you're listening to this podcast. But if you did not sign that card, like, I mean, what a bold move. Honestly, at this point in my life, like outside looking back in, it's like, wow, that was actually like kind of intuitive for them to be, I'm not signing that. Uh -huh. Yeah. And maybe it was rebellious. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, who, who was going to not sign that on that night when everybody else was signing? And I'm sure we had to like nail it to a cross or something, you know, at the end of the night that it's like all of our virginities were nailed to the cross. <laughs> like, I wish I was that kid. Yeah. So kind of a, a breakout question from that one. If you didn't fully understand what you were committing to, then did you feel like your parents had control over your sexuality? And I guess that could even be the church. Did your church have control over your sexuality? 67% said no, which I thought was kind of interesting because, I mean, I I don't know that it I, would not have been appropriate if I had not signed that card. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I there would have been ramifications if Megan did not sign that card, right? No, I think that's a, that's a I thought that was interesting too, 67%. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's just looking at it on the surface. Maybe looking at it more deeply, mm -hmm. right? I think probably in my mind, the thinking was like, God is watching. Oh, yeah. Um, Again, it's more the I, biblical side of it. Right. That, like yeah. God knows. This is what God says. Mm -hmm. this card. And what is this? Card? Right. And so, plus they set it up very thoroughly that this is what God designed marriage and sex to be. Right. Therefore, if you're saying no and you're not signing this, then you're outside of what God 
designed. Right. Exactly. Just kind of, I I do think like it wasn't, I didn't feel like any parent was controlling my right. sexuality. Mm -hmm. But I did feel that something, mm. something was controlling, was controlling yeah. my sexuality and that I should yeah. very much follow the rules right. of the, and the wishes of mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. So I asked if modesty was a big part of purity culture or true love weights. 80% said yes. Then I asked if, if they felt like modesty centered around the female bodies or if it was kind of equal. 95% said yes. Yeah. And nobody's surprised by that. Right. We're all walking around with, I don't know how to, like, I remember my being in my 20s afraid to not conform to wearing a bra. And I know that's such a weird thing, but yeah, like, it's like you feel literally uncomfortable and like you're, you should hide yourself. Oh, yeah. And it's such a strange thing yeah. to realize that's still programmed into me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of that same thing of like that modesty piece of it. Yeah. Modesty equals this. Yep. Uh, and this is how it should look. And and that being how we wake up in the morning and mm -hmm. decide what we're going to wear. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And I think it, it, it affects, again, we've talked about this several times, but the responsibility that we take for, um, for the opposite sex. You know, if, we're pro if everything is centered around um, the modesty of females, then sort of the implicit message is, and obviously, oftentimes it was explicit, it was very overt, what you're wearing causes this. Right. So then I'm taking responsibility. He's not taking responsibility necessarily, but I'm taking responsibility for the fact that my illusion of cleavage or whatever it is, is then automatically going to cause this in his brain and that's my fault kind of thing. Even that kind of stuff very early on was like, I was terrified of boys because yeah. there was like this fear instilled in me that no matter what I wear, and that was partly because I was I was curvy very young. And so like Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah. Just to go out in the world. Like I was just terrified of every man, you know. And I, I think that that is there's some level of that that just continues to show up. Yeah. Uh, oh, 100% on a daily basis. Like you think about changing your outfit 12 times. Most of the time, like if I change my outfit multiple mm -hmm. times before I live, it's really because I'm thinking, how are other people going to perceive mm -hmm. what I'm wearing? Yeah. So realizing how deeply ingrained that is in mm -hmm. me that I don't feel comfortable in clothing because yeah. I'm like, oh, someone might think, no, this mm -hmm. this strap is too thin. Right. Yeah. Uh, like so much of how many how many hours of my life mm -hmm. have I spent changing clothes? Yeah. Because of that filter. Yeah. I want those hours back. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so kind of moving on from um, when this was introduced, skipping ahead just a little bit. When this was introduced, you know, between 13 and 15, I kind of wanted to go back and talk about like when actual like puberty and development was introduced to them separate from what was happening at the church. So I asked if their parents explained puberty and development. Like 67%. Said, yeah. My parents did not talk to me about that. And if they did, were they uncomfortable? And 75% of them said yes. Their parents were uncomfortable talking to them about puberty and development. And I'm talking about puberty and development, not even like, like you know, sex, the act of it or, you know, any sort of 
you know, topic around that was just puberty and development. So then I asked, did your parents engage with you beyond just basic anatomy lessons, the puberty and development? 75%. 75%. Right. So they're hearing these messages from the church, but they're not really hearing anything beyond really uncomfortable puberty talks at home. Like I just, I find that sad. Then I asked if they received adequate information from the public school. Yeah, so most of us didn't feel like we got good sex ed from the school. Most of us felt like nobody was engaging with us at home about these sexuality conversations. And then most of us just felt like even puberty wasn't covered adequately, you know? So, like, that's a that's a huge gap of education, yeah. you know? And, and there, part of me is even like, okay, fine, keep keep the keep the abstinence conversation going if you if you must if you feel like that's the right thing to do but where is the good normal development conversations happening when where is the normalcy where is the like your body was actually designed to do this this is why you feel this way this is you know like i mean it was just i feel like it was just the biblical conversation and then there was nothing and that's just that's not good enough yeah, and I, and I I know you're getting to this. Yeah, but then where? Right, right where? Where we are we learning things? Should we get this information? Yes. Well, sixty percent of you said that you had access to porn, you or your friends. You got it somewhere, right? So sixty percent of you, that same kind of percentage that said that they didn't get enough education, then is getting a bad education from porn. Yeah, getting a distorted view, a very specific curated view. Mm-hmm. Of what mm-hmm. sexuality and yeah. sex looks like. When you were a teen, were you aware or know people that looked at porn? Would you say that you were like aware of that? Yeah, yeah for sure. I think even today, I mean, and I know that, yeah, that probably all three of my children at some point have uh-huh. been exposed to that already. Yeah, in this day and age, it's not really a question of if, it's, it's just when. It's, but just another question, like how many of them felt like they, like their peers were their primary Mm, educator educator yeah of what sexuality uh-huh. looks like especially the ones who were watching porn they were probably the educators right when, oh 100 percent. i have a friend i remember it was probably in high school she asked me this i mean there's a perfect example of like bad friend education you know like they're going to someone she asked me what a blowjob was mm-hmm. and i i was so naive and and just insulated under a rock in this world that i had no idea yeah <laughs> I was in high school. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it to you. We're not supposed to be doing it. That's all I know. Right. <laughs> and so she, I think I, you know, like a good little Baptist girl, I told her that she should probably ask her parents. So she did at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> then it got clarified that, that I had said that she should ask them. And so then my parents got a phone call from her parents that we were talking about blowjobs. Yeah. Like, we're not actually talking about it, but I still got in trouble for talking about it. And it's just like, that's the level of, like, engagement. That I think that's a, like, well, even just the, the concept of purity got taken out to the fact that we're not even allowed to talk about these things. We're not even allowed to think about these things because that would make you impure. But it's like, no, we just needed education. We weren't even trying to do it. <laughs> we just had heard it at school because we go to public school and then... And then now we're getting in trouble for even right. thinking about it or talking about it. Yeah. And because you didn't know that was confusing too. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when am I supposed to know this? Yeah. After I get married, how am I supposed to know then? Right. So I asked if they were taught 
that masturbation was sinful. Were you taught that? Yes. 91% of Mm -hmm. it, I guess. Yeah. Um, And yes, I was. Yeah. Very much so. 91%. That was a, I think that was like the biggest person. I was like, wow, that is, that's a big one. It is. 91%. 91%. (laughs) That's, that's most. Yeah. So 91% said yes. But then when I asked, did you actually masturbate for comfort or for pleasure? 60 of them, 60% said yes. So again, interesting that it's like the things that were, the things that were taught that are sinful and even the things that we're agreeing to in public at a youth group or whatnot is not actually always translating to what is normal and fine or whatever, you know, like they're, they're still doing it. They're doing it. And then they're feeling shame and guilt. Yes. For doing it. Right. Uh, Right. Instead of there's, there's just no, there's no room to figure out the pathway forward. Maybe, you know, like it's like, you can't move forward, mm-hmm. but you can't go back. So you're just stuck in this place of like, I don't know where to get information. I don't know who's going to tell me how all yeah. of this works someday. Yeah. But I feel really bad right. for anything yeah. that I'm experiencing right now. So the next question is, was consent ever explained to you? 69% said no. Mm. So let's go back to... Were you taught that masturbation was sinful? 91% of you said yes. You received that information. Not nearly enough of you received the information about what was consent and what was not. That discrepancy alone, I mean, I cried. (laughs) I did. Because it was like this right here is what I'm so passionate about. Is it's like we knew very clearly what was quote unquote sinful. We knew what was wrong. We knew what we were not supposed to be doing. But yet the actual things that would protect us, having autonomy, having consent, knowing that you could say no anytime you wanted to, nobody taught us that. It doesn't make me feel very emotional. And just to add a layer to that, I just like, I I don't even think I knew what the word consent meant uh, until like the last four to five years of my life. Like, I had no idea what that word meant, Yeah. let alone. But kind of the bigger translation to that is just this association with the word no, especially, again, as a woman saying no, there's so much involved in that to the extent that I think, I think women experience a lot of emotional discomfort when they say no, because there's so much carrying of the responsibility for disappointing someone else or for for letting them down. I don't know. Just thinking about that, that's a, a kind of a connection for me as mm-hmm. you said that. Like I think I had an emotional response because realizing like that's where my mm-hmm. my struggle with no comes from mm-hmm. is just this recognition that saying no had mm-hmm. so many no one taught me it was okay yeah. to say no. But at the same time, recognizing like if you go through this purity culture situation and then you get married. You've never had practice saying no. Right. And now you show up in this space where yeah, um, you're kind of obligated in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the person I should be saying yes to. You've never had practice saying no. And it's not like I, I, I have found myself in mm-hmm. communication, not even just talking about sexuality, but not talking about sex overall, but just where I have had to say like, 
you have to honor my no mm-hmm. because I need to know my no is okay. And right. It's difficult for me to honor my no when you don't honor my no. Yeah. Right. I need you to support me in this mm-hmm. thing I'm trying to learn, this skill I'm trying to learn at 40. Yeah. And I should have learned it. Right. When I was 14. Yeah. I should have been well practiced mm-hmm. in how to mm-hmm. say no and known from then that it was a, that not that only that it was okay to say no, but it was my right to say no. Yeah. So on the, on the heels of um, was consent explained to you, I asked them if they'd ever had a non-consensual sexual experience. And 63% of them said no. But let me reframe that for us. That means 37% said yes. I, I So far, we've just kind of been leading with the bigger percentage. But that's still 37%. That's still 28 people out of 76. 28 people out of 76 had non-consensual sexual experiences. One thing I heard recently that really stuck with me, she was talking about from like an HR perspective, was that if you asked, if she'd asked the females in, in her office if they had been harassed or assaulted or molested or abused, most of them would say no. But if you spelled it out for them, probably 90% of them would say yes. Things like, have you ever had your butt touched in a joking manner? but you felt like you couldn't say anything? Have you ever felt uncomfortable in the way that a person in leadership commented on your body? Have you ever been touched without your permission? Have you ever been kissed without your permission? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been groped? Have you ever felt coerced to go farther than you wanted to? So like if you ask them specific questions, maybe that'll be on the next survey too. I think you would find an even greater percentage. You know, people will be like, oh, kind of like myself, I didn't know the terminology. I felt like that was even something back then that it was sort of like, it was like rape and you were dead in the gutter or it was nothing. Right. You know, those were like the two extremes. But if you spelled it out for somebody like, has this ever happened to you? They'd be like, oh, 100% that happens every week at school or that happens, you know, all the time in my workplace or whatever. You know, I just think about, I don't think that there's a single, I've never met someone who hasn't had an experience Right. Uh, when I've like asked them about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you think, of, like, I saw it every day when mm-hmm. I was in school, those things happening. And so realizing consent's never explained. And I don't even really know what is not okay for people to do. I mean, yeah. I know how to yeah. say no. Right. right. Like, I don't, right. I don't even, I, I think it's supposed to be okay that this person right. did this to me or yeah. that this person said that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's just so much gray there yeah. around. How do I even know how to say no? Where do I even start Mm -hmm. when I don't even? Yeah. Yeah. I want to kind of go back to something you just said about even like once you're married, like post-purity culture, once you're married, there's this thing about being available or submitting to sex whenever you're just, I don't know if that was said aloud in your youth group or your setting, but that was definitely said a lot. Um, how often we're supposed to like have sex with our husbands and how we're not really supposed to say no and you should be like available to him and that helps him not have an affair and helps him not look at porn if you're having sex with him. And so then there's like this, there's that undertone of I don't get to say no. Right. If I say no, he's going to have an affair. If I say no, he's going to look at, and then again, that will be my fault. Because I said no. So there's like that cycle even post-purity culture that they're still operating in. And it, and it really just points out kind of that, like, again, there's so, was so much fear around 
if I have any sort of sexual experience, then it's bad and has major consequences. Mm-hmm. Also, if I withhold sexual mm, experience, yeah. it is bad and it has some serious consequences. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So what do I do there? Right. Well, 54% said that they also had received that messaging that they were to be sexually available anytime. Uh, one of the things I realized in therapy after, um, like healing from my assault was that we, I mean, just basically, um, I, I just didn't ever own my own body. Again, my sexuality belonged, I'd signed it over to my dad, to the church or, you know, whatever the card I'd relinquished my rights to, to my virginity and my sexuality. And then I got married and it, and it belonged to him, you know, that was like then transferred and it belonged to him. And I was supposed to submit to him and be sexually available to him. And so at no point in there was Megan just like, actually, this is, I decide this is, right. you know what I'm saying? Like my autonomy, I never had it. Right. I'd never practiced that mm-hmm. really ever because I wasn't allowed to date. This was how far this went. It Even not dating wasn't far enough. Let's mm-hmm. take this farther. We shouldn't even be like holding hands or kissing or, you know, any of that. That's the vein of beauty culture mm-hmm. I was in that was just like, I wasn't allowed to date. It was mandated, you know. And so, like, of course, then you have no, you have zero experience with boundaries, right. with this feels good or this doesn't feel good. I'm like, you just have nothing, you have nothing, right. you have no basis for this is me and my body and I set the rules. Right. I, yeah. Do you know? And never had rules. I, the rules were, like, given t- to me, you know, like, you didn't ever learn to make rules for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rules were that. I think that's probably. I love the way that you said that. The rules were were given to me yeah. or ascribed to me. They yes. were. Um, they were told to me. This is how it works. This is how your body works in the sense of like, in the context of this mm-hmm. society, and this is how you manage it. Mm-hmm. You manage it by letting everyone else decide what you do with it. And well, the depth there. I didn't yeah. get into it. I know. <laughs> I feel heavy. One of the problems that comes from that, which is a question that we ask, is kind of like when those rules are just ascribed to you and you don't have the opportunity to sort of form those on your own naturally or out of experience, then then your sexuality, your sexual experiences kind of become technicalities based on this choice that you made. Again, going back to the beginning, that they didn't fully understand and so I asked if their sexual experiences became technicalities because, you know, I feel like virginity was like put on this pedestal and it was like the, the holy grail, you know, <laughs> and to remain a virgin was like, you've arrived, you know, again, mostly for the females. And so arriving at your wedding night, a virgin was not only the expectation, it was like what you were saying that you're agreeing to, but so then... But virginity became like a technicality, you know? Right. Yeah. No. There's all these different versions of sex. Specific definition. Yes. Of what virginity is and what it is not. Right. But. And you can do everything else around right. it. Um, and so 58% said that that was, they agreed with that, that sexual experiences became technicalities about how far they could go right. or I mean, what they could that, do. I mean, that yeah. is genuinely the tendency of yeah a teenager right that how far our, can I that's go? how we what can i get away with genuinely i'm gonna try and figure out how to stay within the right. rules and also not follow the rules and also just that kind of genuine curiosity we'll try some stuff we'll right. test it out but we're not gonna go we're not gonna go that far so the ironic part is that 
even though 58% said that that was like a technicality, 63% of them actually said that they didn't wait until marriage. You know, after after all of this, they chose not to. They Did you wait until marriage? Yeah. 63%, 63% said no. Said no. And so does it work? Did it work? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is a question. That is, what did it do? Survey then? says, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's why we're here is because it's like, what did it produce if it didn't actually produce abstinence? Uh, that's a really good question. And I think each of us could give a very um, personal account of what it produced. Yeah. I think in my, like in my experience, what it produced mm-hmm. was not anything that I as a 41-year-old woman would want to keep. And it definitely didn't ultimately... I mean, you know, you follow rules sometimes just thinking, this is here because it's going to make my life better. But did it make my life better? Mm -hmm. I would have to say no. And not because of some view of how people should approach sex or sexuality, but just honestly, the only things I came through with were the things that I'm trying to shake off now. You know? So I don't think that... You know, if following the rules is designed to to make your life better in this particular situation, it didn't. It did not work. Mm-mm. So I did ask them what age their first sexual experience was. If if sexual experiences were technicalities and they ultimately did not end up waiting, then what was your age when you first had your first sexual experience? And these are kind of staggering, honestly. There were three reports of abuse. From the ages four to seven. So that's a that's a real place to start. Nineteen of them said that their first experience was between seven and fourteen. That is early. And forty-seven of them said that it was between fifteen to nineteen. And then twenty-one of them said that they were in their twenties. We're obviously getting married early. I mean, uh, definitely, you know, yeah. purity culture produced some early marriages. Yes. Uh, yeah. I know that is definitely like, yeah, mm-hmm. getting married young. We were all raced and towards the altar. Yeah, yeah we were. We yeah. Like, well, I'm getting married because I right. want to try that. <laughs> right. Just going back to yeah. the, you know, the three reports of abuse from ages four to mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack there. Yes. Again, pointing to that overarching purity culture being one iteration of yeah. just generally sexual violence. If you think about it on a spectrum yeah. of like here on this far left side of the spectrum is this kind of things like purity culture, ways that we control mm-hmm. bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the far other side of the spectrum and somewhere in there is abuse yeah. and violence and overt Mm-hmm. Like harm to mm-hmm. someone. If you kind of think about it in that way, I think that's really what I'm seeing or that's pointing mm-hmm. to. Even like, I don't know what that percentage is, right? Three people out of 76. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you think about abuse, that's, that's, oh, it is a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's too many. Yeah. You know, purity culture existed in their life mm-hmm. and they also experienced abuse and, and it's all kind of on that same, like, you could say that they are somewhat connected mm-hmm. without actually, like, drawing direct lines. Mm-hmm. But recognizing one being present can also perpetuate mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. or can lead to the yeah. other. 
Well, let's just go. I mean, going back up to that question about consensual experiences, 28 of them said that they weren't. And so maybe that wasn't their first experience, but let's just look at those numbers. I mean, a lot of those numbers are before they're 19. Mm -hmm. And so if maybe 28 of those experiences, their first experience, and that's even when you think about the law, the, the law, the way they say yeah. the age of consent is. Right. 18? Yeah. 18? So all of those were before the age of consent. Right. <laughs> right. So like what what's the, yeah, there's an obvious like breakdown in my mind. And there are actually a lot of studies, a couple I'm going to put in the show notes about how purity culture does directly relate to rape culture. Just that like that expectation that I feel like males are programmed to kind of have this mentality that they can't help it. They have this drive and they can't help it. And that it's the woman's job based on what she's wearing, whether or not he's acting on that or how she's acting. And and then he's reacting to how she's acting. You know, it's just like it's all on her kind of thing. And then again, if you don't have a no and you're not practiced in no, then there's a whole lot of non-consenting happening. Right. Whether that's inside a marriage or outside of a marriage. Right. And so there are actual like direct lines to misconceptions on both ends right. of you can say no and you're not this is not your fault mm -hmm. and you can actually control yourself and you need to or yeah it was kind of that story of like well she didn't say no mm -hmm. and that being mm -hmm. kind of the explanation for right what happened she didn't tell yeah. me no yeah um and kind of going back to porn like one of the best things i've ever heard re relating to porn is that you can't you can't respect someone that you're objectifying. So if you're objectifying women or men, whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. you can't also be respecting them in real life because your brain... You're dehumanizing them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then based on what kind of porn you're into, you might be into non-consensual porn. That's like a lens through which you're also viewing real humans, you know, and so you can't, you can't be doing both. Mm -hmm. At the same time, and so then you have a lot of misconceptions about what consent is, mm -hmm. and misconceptions about like how you view another mm -hmm. person, especially with regard to sex. Well, and if they're kind of glamorizing non-consent in porn, then obviously, like that, you're just kind of role-playing that out in your own life. Mm -hmm. And if no one taught you that a woman can say no at any point, any minute of any day, right? Then, then obviously, the glamorized version is what you're after, right? You know. And, yeah. and then that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't translate. Again, that piece of like, well, here's this thing that you're getting information mm -hmm. about. We're not going to educate you yeah. about the reality, reality. Yeah. behind it and how this like translates to the real person mm -hmm. who's across from you, right? Mm -hmm. Like that you're interacting with right now. No one's building those skills because we're just all pretending like it doesn't exist. But I want to jump back and um, kind of lighten up the mood here um, and talk about... <laughs> Uh, demonstrations that were done <laughs> during, during purity culture. Cause these just, I get, I laughed. Um, just remembering. Cause I, I feel like I got all of these that they, they said. I was like, Oh, I remember that one. I remember that one. I, so, but you, you didn't remember most of these or had never heard of them. So let's just go through them and we'll laugh about them together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's. So starting with PB and J. 
I actually, that is the one I do know. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I talk about the engine. I remember the like, there's two pieces of bread, right? Mm-hmm. One's you, and then mm-hmm. one is the other person. Yeah. Right. And if you are, have, you both have peanut butter on you. <laughs> one of you has jelly, and one of you has peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Because Male I, and female. Yeah, you're the right. opposite sex. And you put them together, and that's sex. And then you try to peel them apart. You have a big mess on your hand. Yeah. There's yeah. no way to ever get the jelly out of the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. There's no way to ever get the peanut butter out of the jelly. Mm-mm. This is so confusing. <laughs> just, just eat the sandwich, you know? <laughs> and half the probably boys are sitting there like, Can I just uh, add that? I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. It's true. Uh, second one is bananas. Okay. Um, I have no idea. What did they do with bananas? I mean, at first I was like, I feel like that's sex ed at school where they, like, teach you how to put on a condom. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But... I kind of think it's like once you peel the banana, you can't unpeel the banana. Okay. Or like if obviously if everyone takes a bite of the banana, then you don't have a whole banana. But it's also just, it's kind of, it's too phallic and I couldn't, I don't know. Yeah. It's very banana. Again, what what? you're thinking about, like, how does anyone, I mean, I know that the kids were probably laughing the whole time. Right. But you were also receiving some messages there. Some of these, it's like, why were adults talking about sex in this way? Like, that just doesn't even... Now, being an adult, being married, it's like, this is not how I would talk about sex. These these peanut butter jelly. Jelly props. Yeah. To the next one, which... Oh, yeah. Everyone in bed together. I feel like... So it's more like a skit. Yeah. Teaching me something. Mm. And then, like, telling me not to do that something. (laughs) Right? Is that what you're doing? Right. This situation. (laughs) I remember it kind of being like a skit if I, if this is the same thing they're talking about, but it's like, um, you know, you'd have one person get into bed and it was just like this whole, every person you're with just, yes, everyone ends up into bed together. And by the time this person gets married, they have like, what, I don't know, five other women in bed with them. And she has to come into the marriage bed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. with all these other women. She's like sharing him, mm-hmm. which is like, well, this is problematic in the first place. Yeah. that was, But I think that was like a central messaging, kind of like we talked about before, that it's this idea that you're like, everyone you've ever had a sexual encounter with is now like part of your soul. You know, I remember actual books talking about that, that, that then you're like, your soul is tied to that person's soul. And, you know, that's obviously terrifying. Yeah. It, it it terrifying is a good word and just just genuinely confusing right like yeah again that kind of spirituality put alongside science because when you think about like the physical body yeah and memories and mm-hmm. and like those types of things right how i don't understand how it's different than having a an embrace with someone or having right. a, a, right. a meaningful conversation with someone. The reality is, is I'm having an exchange with someone else. I'm creating right. ways. I'm having emotions mm. in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I like that word exchange. You're having an exchange with someone, but we're not creating soul ties just by touching, just right. by exchanging. That's what, that, I think that right. was my struggle with yeah. that one is as you put, again, that science versus spirituality piece of it. Yeah. And the spirituality kind of trumped the, yeah, the science every time. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it was confusing. What is a rose talk? Oh, a rose talk. Okay, this was a this was a frequent flyer. Um, the rose. Okay, so you have a rose, and and as the teacher is talking, there, you know, everybody goes around and like plucks the petal off, and the rose is supposed to, you know, um, signify your virginity. Mm-hmm. And so, if everyone's plucking off a little bit of your virginity. <laughs> 
then by the time it gets back around to the teacher, like you don't have a rose anymore. And it obviously, you know, the way we talk about virginity is like your your flower, mm -hmm. right? So that's already already kind of weird and gross. But then if you don't have your rose is is all it's ruined. You've been ruined. Everybody has a piece of you. They can all talk about it in the locker room. But then also you can't put all the petals back on. You know, you're just, you're ruined for life was the message, right? Mm -hmm. So, ouch. But then, so then if everybody knows what you've given away, nobody wants that, mm -hmm. you know? So again, terror was instilled. <laughs> okay. I do want to hear about yeah. duct tape. Duct tape. Please, please yeah, tell me duct about tape. duct tape. Again, different metaphors for the same message. Like you have duct tape and, uh, let you know, you fold it in half. You fold it in half and you can't get the two parts apart. You can't get the left side from the right I'm side. I know what you're doing with your hands as you're trying to pull apart. <laughs> I'm pulling the duct apart tape. duct tape. And I can't do it because it's impossible. It's very frustrating. You, or if you do, you're ripping one side and, you know. And it's never the same. No. Because, again, you can't. Once you you've come been. together, you cannot come apart. And so mm -hmm. you're stuck with that person. Yeah. So let's transition to our last, our last little bit. I asked, do you feel like true love waits or a purity culture promised you a wonderful marriage and amazing sex life? 43% said yes. 22% said no. I mean, and then 34% said, oh, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Somewhat. Yeah. So basically, most of them said yeah. yes. Because yeah. I, I would say in this situation, so yeah. Yes, in the sense of like, we kind of, and it's not like that was on the card. It's not like it said, if you promise, then, if then. It was just sort of, this is what God, these are the bounds in which God designed marriage and sex. And therefore, if you follow the rules, that you're rewarded with this wonderful marriage and you won't have any sexual problems because you waited. And I think that's the other messaging of those demonstrations was almost, if you do this, then you can never undo it. But if you don't, then you're going to have like, yeah, incredible hot sex all the right. time. So then did you feel let down by those promises? Yes. 45%, almost half. Mm -hmm. But then again, 34% said no. And 21% said somewhat. Mm -hmm. uh, and I bet if we, if I'd fleshed that out a little bit, had some like, spin-off questions about like what it is specifically, then that 21% might actually fall into that 45% where it's like, oh, okay. Again, if you're being specific, yes. And I, I mean, I think, you know, just in all honesty, you know, when I took this survey, thanks for that. I did say yes yeah. to both of those things yeah. because it turns out it's complex and complicated. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much, what we didn't know was yeah. hearing that message, how wonderful and it was going to be mm -hmm. like just realizing I was being told that message, but I never experienced it. That. Yeah. So I had no idea what that even meant. And so then that just leaves us each to create our mm -hmm. own connection or our own, mm -hmm. like, to, to tell our own story to right. ourselves mm -hmm. about what that would look like. Right. And naturally, yeah. nothing is going to meet that expectation because it turns out there's two people involved. It's not even a one-sided yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you, how do you put that blanket mm -hmm. on there? Yeah. I do think there's, there's like an interesting piece that I've heard from several people, um, that, that it's like, because there was this piece about, about boys in our youth groups or males, that it was like, because it seemed like 
they couldn't control themselves and they had a higher or let's be honest, better sex drive than us as females, that they, that they were naturally good at it, that they knew what they were doing. And then, and then I think that's part of being let down by those promises. Uh, neither or, of us knew what we were Right. Yeah. yeah. If neither of us got the education, and it, then it's just like, they were like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, I think I remember in particular, like premarital counseling, the only conversation about sex was foreplay is important. Like moving on. <laughs> right. Like, but what, uh, what no, do you I mean? Or my, yeah. I'm like, right. Now my husband at the time yeah. was like, noted. Mm. Like, cool. <laughs> Good chat. <laughs> right. He's realizing like no one ever said like, actually, you have to learn. You've got to spell it out. This right. Yeah. You, you, and it's up to both of you to have a good experience. Mm -hmm. Like none of that was ever mm. part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. It was just like this external thing right. was going to right. create this amazing thing. And that you really could, like the only power you had to exert over it was what you chose to do before you got married. That was how you exerted your power over right. the experience you were going to have mm. when you were married. And then in it, like how many times you asked yourself that question of if that is true, then every time something's going wrong in your marriage, the question is, is this because of this? Like, uh, is this because of the Right? Oh, my gosh. I, know I, I hear that so often. So there's that yeah. guilt and shame of like, things aren't going well in my marriage because of this. Because there's already that pre-programming of like, God's going to punish me if I have sex before marriage or sexual experiences before marriage or if I'm impure or whatever. Right. And so then that plays into the, you know, after that, anything that happened pre-wedding ceremony then is like, we're still blaming ourselves right. for these things. That's where this started was realizing that I'm sort of surrounded by all of these women that are in that same stage where it's like, wait, I think that we missed some major developmental milestones, you know? just physically, sexually, emotionally, all that kind of stuff that are supposed to be congruent in a, you know, kind of a timeline, you know, mm -hmm. like child psychology development will tell you when, what years, when you can kind of expect. And then if that's, if that's stunted, right. Because you're like, no, we're not allowed to. Yeah. It's like, and you don't go through that kind of arc of growth and figure out who you are and, and what you think about it and what feels weird or safe or you know, crazy or scared, whatever, you know, even right. just like personally. Right. Um, the shows are like, designed to yeah. build on themselves. Right. Right. You, yeah. You so I think that leads me into, I did ask them, you know, like, do you want future generations to receive the same messaging? And 85% of them said no. 85% of people said they don't want to repeat the same message to the next generation. I just thought that was a, that's a really big deal. This is what we were handed. This is what we inherited was this message. And and yet we're saying, I don't really want it. Right. You know, it's not good. It's not working for me. And it did actually a lot of things that I don't want it to do. And this is coming from like the people in this, right, are the people. Mm -hmm. I tried it and it didn't work. Yeah. Like that's the reality, right? right. What we're hearing right. in these results is I tried it. I sent it, car. And it yeah. didn't work. And here's the, you know, the the nuances of how it didn't work, yeah. but we come together with this consensus that mm -hmm. I don't think this is the best way right. to to teach our children about sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so then we ask the question, well, what is? Then the second question is, do you feel equipped to teach them something different? Most people felt equipped to, to give them something different. I guess 56% said yes. So 
I was really proud of that, I guess. I'm like, kudos to you guys for like already kind of having formulated something different. Well, and I mean, when you think about the age of the people who, right. did, what was the, the primary age group was in our range, mm-hmm. right? So even just realizing like a lot of us have a have 31 to 50. Yeah. And so in 31 to 50, at that point, most of us have yeah. had a lot of experience mm-hmm. testing out and forming new autonomous perspectives or, or thoughts about it. So, I, I, yeah, that's encouraging to me um, that there is a generation that's changing. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, what does that look like overall? Like, you know, looking at the denominations and, and where that connects back to mm-hmm. in kind of the church world. Um, we might feel equipped to teach it, but do we feel equipped to change it? Like to do yeah. Do it on an institution level. Right, yeah. exactly. Well, just like I didn't know how to start, I don't know how to end. Thanks for doing this with me. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of it and to share, for allowing me to share yeah. and share my story. And hopefully it's it's encouraging to whoever listens to this. I appreciate you being here and I value your voice and uh, your thoughts and experience. So mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing, Meg. I know it feels incomplete (laughs) and it's really hard to even know how to round out something when there's so much more to say and there's so many stories to tell. I'm thankful that you stuck around through this whole episode and I hope that you'll stick around for the next episode as well. Our music here on Something We Can Talk About is an original song by Michael Curtis. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it and like it and review it. It helps us kind of float to the top so other people can find us. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more next time.